0: Hello, hello. This is Rachel with the Vet Med Mind podcast. I am so stoked today. I had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Mark Geis. He's the owner of Lock Willow Avenue Animal Clinic in Pennsylvania, and he has been at the practice since 1982, since the day after he graduated from vet school. What makes this even cooler is that his practice was actually owned initially by his dad. And so he literally was born and raised in the veterinary clinic and then Started his career immediately after school. And so we're going to talk through his career from top to bottom, things he's learned, successes he's seen, and struggles he's faced, and talk about resilience and how he's overcome. He's now in a new era of his practice where he's looking to sell and is going down that journey as we speak. And so it is just a wonderful podcast, a great story. And I Hope you all enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with Dr. Geis. So please enjoy the Vet MedMind podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Vet MedMind podcast. My name is Rachel Teichberg, and I am thrilled to have here today Dr. Geis. He is the owner of Lock Willow Avenue Animal Clinic, and he has actually been the owner of this practice since 1982, which is amazing. So Dr. Geis, thanks for being here.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: So excited to have you on because you have an incredible story. You've been in the industry a long time. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of getting in, learning more about you and what the practice has seen over the course of the years. So first of all, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So tell me, you know, why VetMed? You have had a long career. So what is your origin story?
1: So I am a second generation veterinarian. My father started the practice in 1944, and I uh, graduated from uh, veterinary school on a Monday. And on Tuesday, I started (laughs) right in. For about two years, I uh, took over as the owner, and um, it uh, started in the basement of the house that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So after after about seven years, we decided we needed a little bit more room, and we found a uh, a space that was very close, and we purchased that property, revamped it. Um, at that point, I had quadrupled the practice size. I was doing um, a mixed practice, a lot of uh, equine work, some some cattle work. In uh, 2001 I became president of the uh, PVMA and I had to let a lot of the cattle work go because one day they'd want me in Pittsburgh and the next day they'd want me in Philadelphia. Um, At any rate as uh, as time went on uh, we evolved into um, more and more uh, small animal and a little bit less of the equine Um, the area has grown by uh, leaps and bounds. And so the the farmland and, and trying to get to these different uh, uh, places uh, has become a little more cumbersome. Sure. So, yeah. Um, but uh, after doing that, um, I was alternate delegate to AVMA. And uh, after five kidney stone attacks in one year, I decided I better let somebody else do that uh, instead of letting the state down. They found another job for me, and uh, I was on the veterinary examining board for six years. So that sort of jaded my uh, scope of practice a little bit. Um, And uh, I'm out here now, 40 years uh, working in the industry. And uh, so we were hoping that we could move the practice on and we could do some other things rather than Just, um, you know, the normal type of practice. I currently also work for the Racing Commission, uh, both on the standard bread side and the uh, thoroughbred side. So uh, between five and eight nights uh, a month, I'm out at one of the racetracks. Wow.
0: Dr. Geis, you have had a busy, busy schedule for the last 40 something years. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so I extra appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Um, but what what amazing work you've been doing and not just in your own practice, but for that community. And that's incredible. And I just, there's so much to unpack because I think it's just so beautiful that your, your father ran the practice out of your home. So you, sure you've been in the business for 40 years, but you've been in the industry your whole life and that's really right. cool. Um, so did, did you feel this like, I know a lot of people, they grow up, you know, they're like, I always wanted to be a vet. I totally was one of those people, you know, that was like, you know, childhood dream. And it just seems like, was this an expectation or did you also just, because you grew up in this industry, have this love for animals and what was that sort of like?
1: Well, I'm the youngest of three and I'm the only one that pursued anything in veterinary medicine.
0: (laughs) Ah, okay. <laughs> gotcha. So it really was a calling for you. You felt right. connected to the work. That's beautiful. Did you work in the practice as you were growing up? Uh,
1: yes, because, um, you know, dad was around. Uh, we had the practice in the basement. Anytime you needed a, an extra hand, I was there. Uh, I got to go out on calls with them, things like that.
0: That's cool. Yeah. I know a lot of people struggle in family dynamics and working what was that like for you guys? I mean, it sort of was your natural way of life for so long. So what was that dynamic like?
1: There, there was a dynamic between the two of us in that, um, I came out with a lot of these new ideas and, and dad was used to using some of the old techniques, but, uh, he really didn't stand in the way he made me, uh, purchased my first x-ray machine uh, type of thing and mm-hmm. um, you know as uh, he moved on and we went on vacation then he would come in and and uh, sort of sub for us I'll say um, just to keep the practice going and then when I came home I would have to sometimes call a few of the folks up and adjust some of the medications around type of thing
0: yeah yeah <laughs> but he
1: was, was totally supportive and really not in the way and um, not a schism like, uh, I see with some other, other folks. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Family dynamics can be challenging and and you still work with your family now, right? Your wife and your right. son are on practice. Yes. And I know you've been working with Jessica practice coach here, um, yes. for a while. And so, yeah, tell me a little bit about what that experience has been like for you a little bit later in your career. You know, what, what kind of things have you been working on as a business owner, working with a coach?
1: Well, she's been able to help us with some of the HR material, and uh, we've been struggling to try and uh, get personnel um, for the past several years, just like everyone else. Um, when I reach out to some of my colleagues, um, they're not having any more success than what I had been. Um, mm-hmm. She put together a very nice uh, little package with us that uh, through Better Team, and that has worked out very well for us. Um, We get uh, a lot of solicitations from people that don't necessarily meet the criterion that we um, set up, but we have to sift through them. And lo and behold, we've had several interviews. Some of the interviews, the interviewees have never shown up, um, which Mm -hmm. is kind of disheartening. But uh, we've got a couple that have um, sort of diamonds in the rough, shall we say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've been we've been struggling as an industry for quite some time with our staffing issues. I know it's it takes a lot of creativity and a lot of patience and a lot of training <laughs> and time, which of course is the biggest struggle of them all. Uh, the one thing we just can't ever seem to get enough of um, to get the right people in and, and to get them to stay. Um, now, I also wanted to just chat with you about. You know, thinking about time. And I know we talked about how much you have been, you know, had on your plate over all these years. I know just generally speaking, a lot of people struggle with balance and boundaries and putting yourself first. Like you said, you had some health concerns, you had to sort of dial it back. So, what has that been like over the course of your career? Because I feel like a lot of people push ourselves really hard, right? We work really long hours, especially as an owner of a practice, as a practicing veterinarian. You had large animal, you had small animal. Um, you know, when you kind of think back on your career overall, you know, what has, what has that been like? Do you feel like you kind of go through like waves where you feel like you're in a good spot or do you prefer to be busy? What's that kind of like for you?
1: Well, I like to be busy and I find things to do when we have downtime, when we don't have a, a a client there, there's always something that I can find to fill in the gap. No problem. Mm. Um, so that's that's not been a been a big issue there.
0: Um, but you like the work, you know. To me, it seems like you've been kind of seeking out a lot of these things that are more about the veterinary industry at large, like working on the state boards and you know with the AVMA. So what what kind of drew you to that side of that med to to be a part of the bigger picture?
1: Well, my dad kind of was influential there. Um, he was our our uh, district, uh, representative to AVMA for 17 years. Oh, wow. And, uh, so I can remember going to AVMA meetings when I was a little guy. And, uh, so it, it just became, you know, a natural thing, shall we say? Wow. Um, So I've kind of been used to that. I went out to the first leadership conference. Uh, One of my buddies told me, oh, I'm going to introduce you to people. And actually, there were folks there that came up and already knew who I was. So so that was kind of fun. And, you know, and we were in an elevator going upstairs and uh, this guy says to me, who don't you know here? So
0: <laughs> you were literally born into the industry this is yes. been... <laughs> I love that so cool um and what a cool legacy your dad has left you know that he's right. been following in his footsteps all this time that's really special um so so cool now i want to talk to you about sort of success right when you became a vet this was a calling for you this was the family business did you kind of come into being a business owner thinking like I'm looking to achieve X, Y, and Z? You know, what did what did success look or feel like for you? And also, like, has that shifted over the course of the years?
1: Well, once we moved into the new location, we had a little bit more breathing room, and mm-hmm. um, you know, we ultimately filled up the practice size, meaning the square footage, pretty quickly. Um, But I had a mobile clinic at the same time. So, you know, I was out on the road um, so many days a week and uh, doing calls and that extended into the weekends. Um, Then as, um, you know, the practice matured, it would go through an evolution. Uh, We would see different changes that were there. That was always exciting. I had no trouble getting up in the morning wanting to go to work. It was fine. Mm I've always had a philosophy that my uh, weekend started on Wednesday and people go, well, no, it's Friday. And I said, no, if I can get to Wednesday, then I can get through the whole weekend. And that was great. (laughs) And so, you know, that was a a neat concept to try and impart to people as they went on. I would always tell my staff, you know, you can work here, no problem, um, but I'm probably going to work harder than you are. And um, it was always something that You know, when it came time for quitting time, they were kind of good to glad to go home.
0: (laughs) Uh, Tell me more about that. So, I mean, it's not unusual to me to hear an owner, you know, but generally work harder, longer, you know, that we see that. Um, Do you feel like that motivated your staff to a certain degree to be like, I want, like, I'm trying to reach your level? What do you feel like that did for like the dynamics of the productivity and efficiency of your team?
1: (laughs) No, I think uh, they saw it more as um, when the time was up that it was good for them to to go on home. But gotcha. Um, um, you know they knew that if we got an emergency call that I might come in there that evening and have to spend a couple more hours. And so we I always see. we always prep them to to say have everything ready to go in case he has to come in here. And, gotcha. And so that was um, probably a good thing.
0: I see. So it was more like you were kind of putting it out there that essentially the expectations you're putting on yourself aren't necessarily expectations for your team.
1: Correct. Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: And what do you feel like, especially having a family practice, What? how did that impact the culture of your team? Did you, do you feel like you have a lot of long-term employees that sort of became the sort of extended family?
1: Well, um, I used to have... Uh different salespeople that would come in and they would say, I'm really surprised of of all the practices we visit, you have some of the long standing employees as opposed to big turnovers that that would occur. Now, uh, being a solo practitioner, you know, we didn't have that many people, but I think the dynamic was there that yes, they, they stuck around a long time. So.
0: That's great. And did you ever um, struggle with change? I mean, like you said, you know, you'd come in, you change some things, especially when you first became owner, but you know, you've been in practice a long time. And so medicine changes and philosophies change and protocols change. Um, I ask this only because I know a lot of people struggle with change management and practice, right? It's easy to stick to the things that we know um sure. and so especially with long-term employees who don't necessarily have experience in other practices who aren't used to kind of the changes that happen uh what is what has change management been like with your team you know over the course of these years do you feel like you guys have been able to stay sort of agile as you know the, just like kind of the world evolves and kind of changes that we see with technology and things like that
1: well the um the standards are kind of what we go back to and um i I think the new employees, when they come in, uh, they have to understand that we're doing this for a reason. And what is the reason? So one of the things that we would do would be to sit them down at one point and just go through um, a long list of, these are your expectations. This is what we want you to do here. You need to sign off on this. And then when they sort of mess up, um, we go back to that point that point and say, remember, this is the way we want it done and why we want it done this way. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience on the state board was I don't want to make some of the mistakes that I have to adjudicate for. And trying to impart that kind of information to some of these um, n- new Gen Xers is kind of difficult. But, you know, when I put it in that those terms, that's fine. One of the things I like to do is take the AVMA uh, PLIT uh, forms that they send out, and um, I pick one of them and pass it around and say, here, read this, initial it, and think about it. And they go, well, I can see where this wasn't done exactly correct. And I said to them, well, they're not really expecting you to do everything the correct way. Just make sure that you have a basis for why you're doing it that way. And that sort of sues those those things over.
0: I love that. And what a what a great perspective you have, right? I mean, uh, it, it's sometimes hard to understand potential consequences, right? Of not putting in a medical record or, yeah. you know, not putting your initials on something. And um I know a lot of practices struggle with that. You know, sometimes it isn't necessarily big changes that people struggle with to make happen. Sometimes it's little things like enter their weight <laughs> and put your initials on the controlled substance log. And you know, it, it, these aren't necessarily seemingly big things, but they can have serious consequences if we miss these little things. So I love that you have your team be a part of that experience because I, I'm sure sitting on the boards, it's uh it, it's a constant reminder of potentially yes, big things that could go wrong, but potentially also little things that could go wrong. And, um, that you're educating your team on that side of it, that people never see, you know, support staff never see what goes on on the boards and what those conversations are like or anything. So um, I think that it's nice that you're educating your team in that way. And again, it's, it goes back to the, why we're doing it. I'm not trying to be mean and make you do this. It's, this is, these are the consequences of these actions or inactions. So I think that's great. I think that that's really, really cool. Now, I want, I'm curious now, you know, you're, you've, you've had your practice for a long time. So talk to me about what this sort of later stage of practice ownership has been like. I know sale has been a part of it. Retirement has been on your mind. So kind of talk to me about what this experience has been like for you. Um, I know you've had your practice up for sale. So um, I'd love for you to share your story on this, because I know a lot of people are going through this now, especially with the last couple of years and, you know, still kind of in this Sale mode. So, yeah, please share your story.
1: Well, we um, we first uh, approached a broker. I've known this broker for a number of years, and his dad before him. And uh, at any rate, we hammered together um, the logistics of how we're going to go about doing this. Then, between um, having run it through my attorney and then back to him, it took a, a number of months. And then finally we started getting a trickling in of people who might be interested. Um, We had some good leads. We had some, you know, not so good leads. And um, so finally we had someone that seemed to be interested. They wanted to complete the transaction in six weeks. This is impossible to do. You cannot get the bank to any bank to just agree to anything in in that amount of time, Um, let alone look at all the title searches and and things like that. So I knew that that wasn't gonna be a possibility. Um, So we entered into um, this uh, sales agreement and um, one of the mistakes we made was probably not getting some down money on the table. Um, so, as we went through then trying to uh, set all the assets into motion, um, there was some conflict between um, my attorneys, I used two of them, and um, uh, this uh, particular purchaser and having their attorney uh, look at something. And so, um, a lot of it was a back and forth type of thing. Um, we got some. Uh, things cleaned up, we're looking for a closing date. And um, as we got closer to the closing date, the light at the end of the tunnel got very big. And I thought this was going to be wonderful. Um, So in that realm, um, we had a receptionist that um, Had a pregnancy. Um, She was going to be going out on maternity leave. Uh, We were told that, um, well, let's not replace her because the new practice owner was going to bring in three more practice staff, and one of those would be a receptionist. Um, So, as we got closer and closer to the closing date, uh, the bottom fell out, and um, this particular individual decided to ghost everybody the bank, um, me, her attorney, the broker, um, my two attorneys, and uh, the title people as well. Um, It took almost three weeks to get an answer out of her that, yes, she was not going to move forward on this and drop the ball. In that amount of time, I had uh, spun off my um, horsework uh, to uh, the girl that uh, I share a call with. And um, so I gave her, you know, some very nice clients, uh, gave her all the information, actually took a box of chicken down for her. And we had a little chat over this. And uh, I had managed to sell my box out of my SUV that I practice out of um, to someone out in the Pittsburgh area. And um, so after this had happened, here all of that had gone by the wayside. As we approached uh, the summer months, then my vet assistant uh, informed me that she was going to go back to college and become a, a veterinary technician. Oh, all well and good, but there's another, you know, staff member I don't have. Right. And um, so that became a domino effect completely. So it set into motion a certain wave. Unfortunately, you know, you can't stop that wave anymore. And uh, so what we were faced with was as we went into the summer months last year, my wife was the receptionist. I was the veterinarian. I had to bring in people where normally we were, were keeping uh, just curbside and having them actually hold their animals, which is kind of against the rules, but you, we just didn't have any other way to do it. So we got very selective as to the reminders that we sent out. Um, we floated through the summer. It was very long, hard hours, but uh, we we got through it. And uh, so our son is a um, computer engineer, and so he's our IT guy. <clears throat> so he's able to remote in and fix up anything that we might need that way. And so that was helpful in that regard. Um, So as we got into August, then we found an individual that was a vet assistant to help us. We hired her, uh, got another vet assistant who has come and and gone. And um, finally we secured a CVT certified vet technician. And um, so she's worked out, and so we're sort of up and running now, where we should be, and things are are going a little smoother. We just need kind of a buyer. So,
0: sure, I I'm. It's such an unfortunate and frustrating story, and I can only imagine what that was like for you to go through. You know, it's you've had such an incredible career. You've been at working in your practice since the day you were born and, you know, to have this sort of, you know, like you said, that light at the end of the tunnel that was just right there in front of you. I'm sure emotionally that was, that was a big hit too. You know, I'm sure you had your retirement, your retirement was all planned, the things you were going to do and the trips you were going to make. So I guess my question now is, you know, look, challenges and struggles, they they happen. So talk to me about resilience. I mean, and I'm sure this wasn't the first challenge you faced, but, you know, especially in that moment where, you know, I feel like often right, when we're like right there and and something kind of gets pulled out from underneath us, that's a tough spot to be in. You have a business to run, you have employees that are relying on you, you know, even though I know some people left and obviously, you know, you want to keep your business afloat. What was it that kept you going? How did you find that motivation and the strength to power through not just the loss of the sale, but also now you're a couple employees down and part of your business is gone? So where did you find that strength?
1: Well, um, many years ago, one of uh, my colleagues told me that debt is a very good motivator of people. And that is <laughs> so true. So, yes, we all have some form of debt. It might be personal, it might be business, it might be something else, but I always look at that, and that's why I need to co- keep going and keep doing what I'm doing. So yeah, um, yeah, you know, we're we're presently just trying to keep everything looking as good as it possibly can. Um, a, a week and sometimes a day doesn't go by that uh, one of the clients comes in or I see them out somewhere. You're not going to retire, right <laughs> So <laughs> I hear that over and over and over again. So I know there's some love out there somewhere.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. They're as much of a family member right. for you as you are to them, for sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: But it, it was one of our concerns as to uh, when we first approached this, anybody that was going to come through the door and we were going to consider them, were they going to take care of the whole package? And the initial people we weren't too sure about, and uh, some of them didn't want anything to do with the, the horse work, particularly. And uh, so at any rate, uh, having moved that off in the uh, springtime has kind of opened up a, a new sector.
0: Yeah. And look, it sounds like you guys are in a great place. You've recovered from the struggle over the summer, um, and now you can kind of get back to you know, like you said, keeping the practice where it needs to be, keeping your expenses low, you know, and doing doing the good work you know how to do, and uh, finding that right buyer. Right. So, so plans are back on. Retirement is on the horizon. Yeah, <laughs> we won't tell any of your clients. <laughs> yeah. sure. Um. So that that's exciting. And uh, I just have to ask, I mean, what are you looking forward to in retirement? You know, you've been keeping so busy. So what does that look like for you?
1: Well, uh, back in April, I had a list of um, items that I wanted to do. Some around the house here. Others, um, you know, just uh, wanting to go visit something or even just take a day off and go fishing like I like to do. Yeah, Um So all of those got put on the back burner. And so if everything moves ahead, then I can certainly jump right into those.
0: Absolutely. Well, I know you've built an incredible practice and you are back where you need to be. So I'm sure there's a buyer out there for you. And look, come springtime, you know, everyone gets thawed out. (laughs) (laughs) I know everyone's frozen in their homes. Um, I know you guys will find a buyer and I know that retirement will be coming for you soon. And that's really exciting. Um, But I appreciate you sharing your story. And I guess if there's any little bit of advice, you know, for people who are looking to sell and are kind of going through that process of essentially interviewing potential buyers, what advice do you have for for other owners?
1: Well, I was told to um, take each one and take them at face value. And if it didn't feel right to just shut the interview down pretty quickly and just move on. But everybody that came through, I always spent at least an hour. Uh, This particular buyer, I spent four uh, Sunday afternoons actually trying to impart some business sense to the individual. Um, They didn't understand what the credit card machine and the ramifications of it were. Uh, this person wasn't too sure whether they liked my computer system. And I said, well, you can always bring a new one in, but you're going to be charged a conversion fee and um, to purchase a whole new unit and all the computers go with it. That's a pretty big hit to take. You know, why don't you just work with what's here and see if it won't work for you and then kind of transition into it if you need to. So, I mean, those are a couple things there. Um, Absolutely. I think in in certain terms, you know maybe there's a few differences we should have done with the deals as they they came about um and uh, I've talked to my attorneys about that you know in the past and also now, so
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, ultimately, it's about having the right people in your corner asking the right questions. And I agree with you that gut instinct. Sometimes we doubt it. Sometimes people, you know, some people legitimately feel like they don't necessarily have that gut instinct. But, you know, I, I get it a lot when you're interviewing anybody, you know, for a dental assistant or a CVT or a doctor, you know, there's certain signals that happen, right? Yes. And sometimes you can't really explain what it is. And I always tell people, you, you don't really need to, you know, your, your body and the energy that you pick up and the feelings that you have, sometimes it's hard to put words in, but trust yourself enough. Um, because pretty much, I don't don't know about you, but personally, I, anytime I've gone against my gut, I've regretted it. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, I knew it, I knew it. And I didn't, I, you know, like I thought my brain knew better than my, than my gut or my heart. And you know, and then lo and behold, we're trying to dig ourselves out of a hole sometimes. And um, so I agree with you, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's just one of those things that you're just like, no, but I appreciate that you at least were willing to say, you know what, I'll give everyone an hour, you know, and, you know, maybe I I don't have a good feeling in the first 10 minutes, but I'm willing to say, you know what, true, true first date style, let's just see it through, (laughs) unless something extreme happens, (laughs) and then we'll go from there. So Um, But you know what, look, now you have even more experience under your belts and you have now all the advice and the experience from this last go that, you know, coming into these new conversations as they start to happen, you know, your eyes are wide open and uh, I'm sure you have some new questions to pose (laughs) and some new ideas as to how to secure a good deal. Um, So I think that that's great. Now, I want to move into our rapid fire questions. Um, So I'm going to ask you a few quick questions. Um, First of all, what was the name of your first pet?
1: Susie. And what what kind of animal was that? She was uh, like a dachshund mixed breed. Very cute.
0: I have to ask a follow up question. We'll do semi rapid fire. Did you have just a house full of animals growing up?
1: Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, um, you no, know, my mother was uh, not a, a big fan of having everything right there. So it was just one at a time type of thing.
0: <laughs> Boundaries. I like that. She's like, I live in a vet clinic. Let's just have one. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> gotcha. What is your favorite kind of music?
1: Oh, I like rock. So I think Floyd's one of my favorites.
0: Oh, that's great which leads me to my next next question is what is your go-to like sing out loud in the car, shower, karaoke song?
1: Well, currently uh, we have Fleetwood Mac in the, in the uh, stereo. So.
0: Oh, I love that. Awesome. Um, What is your number one guilty pleasure?
1: Um, I guess ice cream.
0: Mm, Any flavor in particular?
1: Well, I like coffee.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I like coffee too much because when we get ice cream at night, it's always trouble because I'm like, I really want coffee. But like, is there's caffeine in here? I assume. I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm not a uh, coffee drinker. I like tea much better. So.
0: Oh, interesting. But you like coffee, ice cream. Yeah. How about that? Mm-hmm. Coffee in the form of ice cream only. Yeah. I can get behind that. I think yeah. you're on to some. Um, what is one thing on your bucket list?
1: Um, probably, uh, traveling out West again.
0: What, what kind of places are you thinking? Oh, I
1: want to go to Old Faithful. Oh, cool. Yep.
0: Very, very cool. Uh, do you have a go-to like road trip snack or airport snack? One of those things you're like, oh, we're on a road trip. Got to go get this.
1: Well, anytime that I go on the airplane, I always take airplane food, and that's typically yeah. either bagels or uh, I've gone to these little snack packs now that TSA has gotten a little stingy on on what you can do. <laughs> but uh, I typically have my uh, pack filled with a couple different items there.
0: Yeah, got to bring the snacks. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, you're going to pay $80 for like a carrot stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The airplane prices are just outrageous. Um, Let's see. And if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Um, Maybe to sleep a little bit.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Only a little. Right.
1: (laughs) I I function on four hours a day.
0: (laughs) Well, you're doing it all. So it's working for you. I don't know. Um, Well, that's amazing. Um, I, I, couldn't be more appreciative of you spending your time with me today and filling us in on your story. It's it's really, really cool to just hear what an amazing career you've had and your plans for the future. And um, I'm very excited for you because I know that something really wonderful is coming around the corner.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine. And I really mean this. It could be a kennel worker. It could be the person who cleans your hospital. Uh, It it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate, Uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, Those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're gonna have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but I'm always interested to hear what you think of when we say, who's a success in your life? What's going on in
0: the vet med mind?